Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Have you ever arrived at work, looked around and felt your heart sink? Heard that little voice in your head say, what am I doing here? Is this really me? Or is there something more? Perhaps in one of those moments you've realised that your personal values just don't fit the corporate lingo or company goals. Lysia Heath was on a yacht on Sydney Harbour sipping champagne with her male colleagues and clients when that penny dropped. Feminism, by definition, is the belief that men and women should have equal rights and opportunities. Feminism is about equality, isn't it? It's about men and women having the same opportunities in life. If that does not suit you, then get out. You know, there's been a lot of talk recently about whether our country is ready for women leaders. It takes courage and strength to be empathetic. Smashing the glass ceiling yet again! Not now, not ever. I moved on her like a bitch. I just don't think there's a place for sexism in our politics. Nobody respects women more than Donald Trump. This has to stop. Hello and welcome to Broad Talk, the podcast about women, power and the wayward world. I'm Virginia Hausiger. And today I want you to meet Lysia Heath. But before you do, here's a little blurb that the WBPP, world's best podcast producer, Martin Pierce, wants me to share with you. And the message is, please subscribe to Broad Talk if you haven't already. And feel free to rate us. I've got no ideological objection to lots of stars. And please tell everyone you know to subscribe to Broad Talk too. The reason we want you to do that, apart from introducing you to some amazing women and men, yes, there are some men coming up on Broad Talk, is that we want to keep providing these pods for you and each of your clicks and ticks helps keep Broad Talk afloat on all of those podcast platforms. Now, I know not all of you are into Facebook. That's okay. I'm no fan of Facebook either. But I do love to hear from you. I love to hear what you're thinking and pondering and what you're worried about. So join our Broad Talk Roundtable group. Just find it on Facebook, click join, and Martin and I will throw open the door. And while you're there, please throw some questions at me too. You can also find me most days on Twitter at Virginia underscore house H-A-U-S-S. Now back to today's guest. 
When I first met Lysia Heath over lunch in Canberra one day in 2019, I kind of had trouble getting my head around what she'd just done. She's super smart and riding a career high, but suddenly she made a U-turn and chucked it all in. Then she set out to do something entirely different, something with no real financial reward, but something that she thought someone had to do. Lysia wanted to see more women in politics, in political leadership, and more women's voices around the policy decision-making table. The way she saw it, the laws made by politicians affect all our lives, so why aren't there more women involved in shaping those laws? In essence, she wanted more women to step up. So she set out to work out how to do that, how to get more women in politics. Lysia is now CEO of the not-for-profit Women for Election Australia. Run on the smell of an oily rag, Lysia and a few volunteers have put a couple of hundred women through their political paces to prepare them to run as political candidates. And look, it gets even better. She's had a crack at it herself, running as an independent in one of the most high-profile and punishing by-elections Australia has witnessed – which was, of course, the 2018 Wentworth by-election to fill the seat that was suddenly vacated by former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull. Yes, Lysia Heath, the complete unknown, was that fresh-faced blonde woman on TV, in the papers and on the local stage hall, pushing and poking the moral conscience of an elite group of politicians. So I started our conversation by asking Lysia, what on earth was she thinking? Lysia, thanks so much for joining Broad Talk. I've been so looking forward to having this chat with you. Oh, it's great to be here. Let's get straight into it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's indeed. Lysia, I want to help um, our listener understand a little bit about who you are. Now, you catapulted to um, the national stage in a really big way in um, late 2018 after the Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, had resigned and his seat of Wentworth was suddenly up for grabs and there was a by-election called for October of 2018 and Lysia Heath put up her hand and suddenly she was all over TV. What on earth were you thinking? <laughs> well, I'll have to take a step back into 2017. So I'd, I'd had a a great career in finance and funds management for about 19 years. And in 2017, so the year before the by-election, I took a sabbatical. I I was keen to explore a new career for myself, something that had more purpose and something that was going to have a a tangible impact, positive impact for, for my community. And What I ended up doing was attending everything that I could and I I set myself the tasks to try to work out what what was going wrong with Australia's political landscape (laughs) and trying to solve it. Why why did you even do that, though, Lucy? I mean, you had a really amazing career, as you say, working in the finance sector, um, assets management. You had been involved in, in setting up a huge asset management uh, organisation that had about $5 billion under management. I mean, you were really going places. So why that that wanting to step off that high-profile, fast-moving career to, to take a look at what yeah. was going on in the world? 
It's a good question. I, I think I'd found myself at, at my desk in the years prior. Just it, it, it was just slowly creeping up on me, just getting more and more agitated, sitting at my desk, um, watching the political environment. You know, we'd always have the TV on at all the desks, those financial floors um, that you'd you'd be seeing question time or you'd be seeing policy responses or a lack of policy responses and this real lack of alignment of interests between Mm. how I was required to conduct myself at work, which was right, how my colleagues were required to to act at work and, and how disproportionate that seemed to be to how our parliamentarians were going about their business. And it, it just was increasingly agitating me. And then I, I remember having this pin drop moment. We were uh, we were out on a yacht on the harbour. Of course, uh, as you as you would be, yes. Yeah, as you would be, of course. Uh, you know, my old life. And we were entertaining a bunch of clients, which which was fantastic, something we do every year. And it really struck me some of the conversations that were starting to be had around, you know, on board about there was tax policy coming up and um, the Productivity Commission paper had come out and talking about capital gains changes and and all sorts of changes. Um, and some of the discussions happening at that forum really concerned me, um, people getting concerned about changes that were going to happen to negative gearing and how that was going to affect their multiple properties and how they really had to make sure that those changes didn't come into effect. And I was just thinking, oh, you guys are pretty well off, right? Like yeah. you know, that is that is opportunity hoarding and I, I you know, had a, had a mini kind of crisis and, and said I'm not sure I can be part of this anymore. I want to be part of something else. That's a a really important point because, look, up until then, you'd obviously done really well. And yes, as you say, you know, being out in the harbour, entertaining clients, that kind of thing would have been, you know, quite normal in that work you were doing. I just, without naming the, that uh, very large um, asset management business that you were involved with, I note though, when you look at its executive team, at the moment, uh, and you've been well a long time out of it, but you look at the executive team and, you know, as long as your name is, is, is something like Chris or Peter or Mike or Alan, you might be on that team, um, there are no women on the executive team. Well, there's one actually. There's eight blokes and they are, you know, a couple of Chris's and Alan's and Brendan's and Alex's. Um, it clearly was a very, very blokey environment, yet you willingly went into it and you were making money there. So it's kind of um, curious, though, that you then had that change of mind about the value of it all. Yeah, I look at it had been a very fruitful career, and look, financial services is very male, very male dominant. So regardless of which firm I'd worked for at different times, that it that had always been the scenario, um, and that had never really been a problem for me. Uh, but I tell you what. Something that, uh, looking back now, um, which I didn't acknowledge at the time, once I had my first child, mm. the, um, it felt like there was a brick that was put on my head. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, just in terms of, uh, you know, my ability to um, progress 
the added stress that I was under, um, the lack of flexibility that was there. And, you know, working at my firm, we had fantastic flexibility, uh, not compared with today, but for the time, certainly. But it was, it started, there was a whole bunch of things that were happening at the same time going, is this the way it needs to be? Is um, surely these different scenarios, whether it's capital gains, whether it's childcare, whether it's um, number of women in certain executive positions, they all have policy solutions. So why aren't the solutions being executed? And that's kind of the question that I set myself out to try to explain. Okay, but why you? Why did you think... I will step out off this this pathway and take a gap year and try and, and find a better way of doing things. What made you think you could do that? Oh, some inner yearning that I I had to do it. I could not stay where I was. So that was not an alternative. That wasn't an alternative for me. Um, so how could I best use my skill set to to pivot into so whether that's financial uh, acumen whether that was my public speaking which I do a lot at conferences whether it be activate my network or the different advocacy that I'd done at different times how could I utilize that skill set to improve the status quo and look I don't think I'm a pioneer here in terms of having those couple of kids and then looking down at them going are you going to have um, as good a lifestyle and life that I have had? And as soon as that little seed was in my head and I'm starting to go, I'm not sure they are, then, you know, that was just moved into action. Whether I had the skills to execute on it is a different question. <laughs> um, uh, but well, let, let's let's jump forward then. So yeah. you stepped off, you were looking around and then the – Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull resigns. Uh, there is a, a call for a by-election in the seat of Wentworth at the end of 2018, October 2018, and Lysia Heath, who's never been involved in politics before, isn't a member of a mainstream political party, puts up her hand. Yep. What was going on? What, what were you thinking? <laughs> well, um, yeah, it sounds extraordinarily kind of, uh, brave, doesn't it? But but a, a few things had happened before then, um, which m- means I felt more prepared to do that. For starters, um, I'd attended this amazing conference in 2017 run by a group I'd never heard of called Women for Election Australia. It was their inaugural conference. Virginia, you spoke at that conference too. I did too, yes. Were you um, in the audience? It was at New South Wales Parliament House. Yeah. and. Look, it really struck a chord with me, that event, and five months later I was on the board of Women for Election Australia and I was helping with the strategy. I was helping put together training events for women to run for office. So for really the 12 months before the by-election, I had been exposed to that world Um, and I have no doubt at all that had I not had that exposure, when that opportunity presented itself, I wouldn't have stepped forward. So, you know, that shows that it, it wasn't just uh, dumb bravery. 
It's certainly not dumb bravery because what you did was not only brave, courageous, it was incredibly um, strategic. Uh, It was extremely well executed. Your campaign when you ran for the seat of Wentworth as an independent was really extremely well organised and impressive, which is why you got so much media coverage, I've got to say. And look, let's face it, I mean, you were never going to win as an independent when the other independent you're up against was, of course, Karen Phelps, who had quite a machine behind her. Um, But it also took enormous energy, I would have thought, from you. Look, it did and uh but it was a by-election is different in terms of it's a, it's a six-week window when, when I saw you know Zali Stegel's campaign that launched in October and the election is in May the following year like that that is extraordinary energy uh six weeks I think anybody can can say when it's finite like that you can go okay I can throw myself into into six weeks. And many people in their careers have all sorts of um, deadlines like that that they, they have to execute on. But, uh, but I also had wonderful support around me, so I wasn't doing it by myself. You know, I got a dozen of my besties, uh, very, very hand-picked, you know, someone that was in PR, somebody that knew about digital communication, somebody about policy. I got them around a table before I launched and said, I am going to do this, but I can't do it unless you help me. Can you form the crux of my campaign team? Yeah. And and we go from there. And they were all <laughs> two hands firmly in my back and saying, we are in, let's go. Lysia, you knew you would never win, didn't you? Yes, I did. So... Uh, the the fact you actually, as I said, you, you polled well. I mean, ultimately, you got about 2.3% of the primary vote, nearly 1,800 votes, which was really quite outstanding. And at one stage early during the campaign, I think one of the polls had you up there around 9 or 10%. Yeah, um, yeah. But knowing that you weren't going to win, what, what was the point of doing it when you had a really strong Liberal candidate, um, Dave Sharma, who was very popular, uh, and then you had this massively well-known and popular independent, um, Karen Phelps. Why not just just sort of let let her run the race? Well, I, I launched a couple of weeks before Karen launched, so there's you know there's that timeline um, to consider there. In fact, I launched before uh, Dave had been pre-selected as well. That <laughs> was still going through their pre-selection exercise, so. But what I, you know, I've sat through a few federal elections in in Wentworth, and obviously the incumbent was was Malcolm Turnbull. I I just refused on this occasion, and because it had been such a tumultuous environment leading into that spill, the idea that that election that was going to have national focus mm-hmm. was going to talk about jobs and growth over and over and over. Um, was just <laughs> was just oh, repugnant to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so determined that that big, what I thought would be a Liberal candidate and that big Labor candidate uh, talk about policies that they just weren't going to talk about unless somebody was giving them an uncomfortable poke mm-hmm. <laughs> on that dais saying, What's your view on asylum seeker reform? What's your view on a federal ICAC? 
what's your view on public education funding? Uh, and it just went on and on in that respect. So um, that was what I was determined to do and ultimately that's what I did. And you certainly did. You certainly did because those issues were raised all the time because you were, you as you say, you were poking away. Now let's then just jump forward. So the day after election day or the um, the, the poll closed, the, the uh, new winner announced, you wrote a, a beautiful thing on your website about your experience and your reflection. And I thought it was really, really beautiful the way you finished it off, asking the question, you know, what does it mean to win? And despite the fact you must have been exhausted and you'd lost, um, you said, I can't wipe the smile off my face. That was beautiful. I found that really touching. (laughs) Thank you. And and it it was totally true. Running in that campaign was one of the most positive things I have ever done in my life. Really? Absolutely. Why? It, that is the exact opposite to what everybody told me it would be. They're going, don't do it, Lysia. You know, they'll go through your garbage. They'll find where your kids go to school. They'll, you know, try to tear you down, um, you know, character assassination. Um, look, none of that happened to me, and I, I do not want to um, – I don't want to gild the lily that that experience doesn't happen to some people, but it doesn't happen to all people. In fact, I would, I really would say it happens in the minority of cases. Now, if we're looking at council elections, state elections, federal elections, and watching an electorate activate before my eyes was an extraordinary thing to behold. And the number of people, particularly women, particularly women that came up to me in that six weeks and said, look, keep going, Uh, we're watching, you look just like me, Uh, Mm -hmm. I buy you a coffee at the end of this uh, because I think I'd like to do the same thing one day, but I don't know how to do it. Wow. Well, now as CEO of the organisation Women for Election Australia, I know that you're doing amazing work. I've sat in it on my myself, um, the extraordinary courses that you run to, to get women energised and educated and to provide the information as to how to go about running. And look, numbers are improving a wee bit. Um, the, even just the number of women candidates compared to in the 2019 election compared to 2016 um, have increased a little bit. Tell me, why do you think increasing the representation of, of women in politics, not just federal government, but local governments and, and state governments, why do you think the numbers make a difference? Oh, there's, oh, there's a lot of, there's a lot in that. Look, I think the we want gender parity in in our governments for a whole different uh, raft of reasons, and and one of those reasons is about the broader lived experience that comes in terms of policy outcomes, in terms of conduct outcomes. When you have broader lived experience in your parliamentary chambers, whether it be a local council, whether it be in Canberra, there's a number of positives that come out of that, and. You know, whether it's research from 10 years ago or uh, King's College produced a beautiful paper last year that talked about what happens when you get the critical mass of women or close to gender parity in, in those legislative chambers. It becomes a more collaborative environment, you know, less adversarial. 
but women with broad set of experience are interested in a broader range of policies and policy solutions that tend to benefit more of the community than less. Okay, I'm going to jump in here and be the devil's advocate because whilst I I sing from the same song sheet as you (laughs) and I I always have, um, one of the things that is thrown up a lot when we say things like this is aren't we in danger of essentialising women, talking about women as being sort of the, um, the moral goddesses here? You know, you put more women in and everything becomes nicer, kinder, fairer, mm. um, which isn't necessarily the case. We've seen some women behave, you know, appallingly in politics and in leadership. Um, we also have seen some women um, behave not only in following a male model of leadership but, but go even become even more testosterone-driven than the men around them. So aren't we in danger of suggesting that that women make it better, make it right, make it collaborative? Well, are we in danger of doing that? Well, all all I can do is quote, you know, things from, from the research that shows, yes, women are allowed to, <laughs> women are allowed to uh, be just as mediocre as men. <laughs> well, Actually, you could probably produce a pretty good counter-argument that they're not in many cases. Certainly, aspirationally, we'd like to get to a position where women can perform (laughs) in high positions and still, you know, not always do the best job but maybe have a second go at it or a third go at it or things like that. But in particular, you know, even something that I was reading the beginning of this year showing that the countries that have the most ambitious climate change policies at the moment are also the parliaments that have equal gender representation in their chambers. Mm. Look, there's no doubt, um, and look, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself here, um, which is not unusual, of course, but there is no doubt that uh, when we look at um, in our first series of broad talk at the difference that around the globe that women uh, national leaders were making in terms of response to COVID, um, there was a heavy weighting towards women leaders and nations led by or governed by women leaders um, doing better than than others. Uh, and that goes. There's a whole, a whole library of theses. I'm sure being written about yeah. why well, right now. And, and it's not just that. I, I certainly, whether it's women councillors or women state representatives, you know, there's this hard data that shows women take more constituent meetings and are more visible out in their electorate. And you know, the counter to that obviously is the absence of that results in. Uh, people not feeling as representative as represented as they could be, and uh, trust in the institutions falls away as a consequence of that as well. So it, it's not that women are the silver bullet. I, I just it, it's that a broader set of lived experience, more representative government of you know the population that it's governing, has so many implicit knock-on positive mm. effects. Uh, that we need to do everything that we can to make sure that we're trying to achieve it. Okay, but when we know that, and as you say, there is plenty of research that that, um, backs up this now, when we know that women make a positive difference overall, generally speaking, why then do you think it is that in terms of gender equality data globally, as well as Australia, numbers are, are really slow, progress has been almost wound back in some regards. Mm. When we look, for example, at the four 
big global gender equality indexes, including the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap um, Report, which is one I quote a lot. When we look at the big four, Australia is going backwards in all of them, all of them. Uh, and we're not the only ones. So if, if on the one hand we know that women in leadership and in, in decision-making roles are making a positive difference, why do you think we're progress is going backwards, slowing down, stalling and going backwards? Yeah, stalling is the right word. You know, one of the reasons we're going backwards is that everyone else is improving. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so falling from, uh, you know, 14th to 50th in terms of the gender parity index from the World Economic Forum is because a lot of those other OECD countries or equivalent countries as ours uh, have made marked improvements in terms of uh, political representation. Typically, those countries that are doing well involve the two major parties or three major parties, depending on the country, having quotas in place that have jettisoned them up those tables whereas we have stayed in that same position. So when compared with everyone else, we've gone backwards. So, Lysia, you're absolutely right in that, yeah, we are going backwards. And the World Economic Forum, um, I've been reporting on as a journalist for, for years, since it started actually in 2006. And when the first figure came out, Australia was ranked 15th in the world for ge- overall gender equality. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that's terrible. You know, that's really terrible. <laughs> we'll get better. We'll get better. Every year I reported it, we'd got worse and worse and worse until last year, 2020. Overall, we've dropped down to 44 in the world, um, which for a rich, privileged nation like Australia is extraordinary and, and it's terrible. And that's not the only index that we're going backwards in why do you think australia is doing so badly when you say it's just that everyone else is doing better but why are we going we're not stalling we're going backwards why i think there's complex reasons for that i mean part of it is um again a lot of those countries that are, are rising up the rankings have very deliberate policies in place very active agencies uh, that are constantly measuring and remeasuring and uh, trying to improve uh, policy landscape to be able to bring equity to women in that country. We, besides when we formulated the Office of Women and uh, you know commissioners in place, as far back as the late '80s. In terms of our most recent 20-year history, we have not improved the status quo in terms of what we're measuring and what our policy is, what our actual policy, not a bolted-on part of the budget, but an implemented, integrated part of formal budgets. We are totally amiss in that Mm -hmm. realm Uh, and our competing countries aren't very dedicated to trying to lift women within their countries, be it employment, be it education, uh, be it childcare, and that is just all out to sea here, I'm afraid. Okay. I want to um, stop asking you the hard, impossible-to-answer questions and talk a little bit more about Lysia Heath herself. But we're just going to take a short break and back in a moment. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, Alicia, welcome back. Alicia, ambition. Are you ambitious? Yes. I got in a bit of trouble or a bit of social media strife the other day when I tweeted a rather frustrated, angry tweet when I read some, yet again, Harvard research that was suggesting that women aren't ambitious and that they lack confidence. And I just, it just made my blood boil because most women I know are ambitious and are pretty confident. Why do you think we're continuously told that we're not? Oh, I think it's a different form of confidence and a different form of ambition. I I am ambitious for a prosperous future for my children. I'm not ambitious to slit the throat of my fellow colleague to get ahead. (laughs) But are you ambitious for yourself? Yes, absolutely I am. But again, it's it can be measured differently. There's a tangible difference, I feel, from my ambition now versus maybe my ambition when I was 20. Yeah. Who would you count among your heroes and why? Who do you look up to? Well, look, I definitely, Julia Gillard, certainly a hero of mine, and that's not because I'm any sort of labour stalwart. I just think her extraordinary intellect and tenacity is just something to be admired. You know, other heroes are are people like Sam Mostyn for me. Just my, I think of her like my aspirational big sister. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure her beautiful sister Suzanne would probably say the same. Um, (laughs) But for those who don't know Sam Austin, she is just an extraordinarily, apart from anything, she's just a lovely, lovely person, but a fantastically successful business person, a fantastic community uh, contributor, a public policy contributor, I think, and sits on a number of boards, but really uses her profile to to do good stuff. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I feel like that is a Oh, it sounds very gendered, doesn't it? But this trait I see in women over and over and over again, which is being extraordinarily good leaders in their community, whether it's the head of the local PNC, whether they're running the you know eastern suburbs, Auskick <laughs> um, community, whether they are providing bushfire relief or trying to help out their neighbours in a drought scenario, I just see 
that community leadership over and over again. Uh, and it's often um, not, uh, not necessarily not noticed, but certainly not rewarded. And something that's incredibly powerful to me is trying to convert those community leaders into future political leaders because they're already doing nine-tenths of what a good political leader does out in their community. You know, they're shaking hands, they know the community, they're running fundraisers, they're trying to see how they can improve the status quo for their community. Um, you know, we, we try to help them with the, with the one-tenth in terms of some of the tangible skills, but the, the ability so often is already there. But if somebody tapped them on the shoulder right now and said, you know what, you should run, they'd go, oh, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? I, I, as I said before, I've sat through you know one of your courses and looked around at uh, the other participants there, and you sort of get the impression a lot of them are thinking, "Oh gosh, you know, I really would like to do this, but it's so hard, and I'm not as smart as her, or I, you know, I'm not as connected as her, and I, I can't really imagine myself doing it." But your message just seemed to be so clearly to every single one of them: you can. You can do this. Absolutely they can. And uh, watching that journey in those programs is one of the most rewarding parts of what I'm doing right now. Women that start the course saying, look, I'm really here because I would like to help another woman in my campaign. Yeah. And then they get to the very end and we survey them and they go, well, done that to hell. I'm going to run myself. <laughs> Which is fantastic. I must say, it's exciting. You can start to see that happening. It's very, very exciting when you see that happen. Absolutely. Tell me, just changing, uh, just changing course for a moment. I want to talk about anger. Are you, are you a, an angry person? Do you get very angry? Do you feel a, a, an underlying? rage, dare I say? And I, I put that in terms of I recently read that fantastic book, um, Rage Becomes Her, yeah. and I think I identified myself on every page. <laughs> Are you an angry person? I don't think I am. I certainly am a person that shakes their head and rolls their eyes a lot <laughs> when I see certain behaviour, uh, but I, I've never found that the anger leads to good outcomes for me, as in I, I, can, I can go down a rabbit hole with that. So whether that's a learnt behaviour or it's more just in my nature, I prefer to go, okay, that's a problem, let's solve that. Okay, that's a problem, let's solve that. And onwards we go uh, without getting too caught in the anger. But, yes, I am, a, I am an eye roller. <laughs> Do you think there's a place for anger? Yes, absolutely there is. Yeah. And 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 for women as well. You know, this is not a bastion for men, uh and it doesn't make us angry hysterical females when we when we find ourselves in in that place. Uh you know, out of anger can come a real that fire in the belly to go right. Well, I've been pushed over the edge and the only way that I can see forward now is to activate as such. 
It absolutely is a place for anger. I think, yes, anger in a used world can be very motivating. And look, one of the reasons I, I ask about anger is when I happen to be doing um, some research on you just this morning, you know how when you're surfing around the internet and sometimes you just go down a rabbit hole and then you one thing leads to another and lead to another and then before you know it, an hour later, you've read all this really amazing, interesting stuff but it's got nothing to do with what you're actually there to do. <laughs> I do do that, Yep. <laughs> I am a champion at that. But I must admit, I do sometimes walk away from my desk and I might have had done nothing that I was supposed to do, but I think, oh, it's been very interesting. But here's my story about anger. So somehow I ended up um, reading all this stuff about uh, one of the stories that's been floating around in the last few days about uh, Yoshiro Mori, the Japanese head of the um, 2020 Olympics, who is in terrible trouble. This fellow, mind you, was the former Prime Minister of Japan, in terrible trouble for making some really derogatory comments about women um, and suggesting that uh, he didn't like having women on committees and councils and what have you because they talk too much, women are too talkative and they made meetings drag on. Um, And he went on to say women have a strong sense of rivalry. If one raises her hand to speak, all the others feel they need to speak too and everyone ends up saying something. In other words, we're better off running things without women. And it also reminded me of the the recent uh, policy that was um, announced in Japan, uh, a workplace policy in which women were told they must wear high-heeled shoes to work. And uh, a Japanese minister who came out defending this and actually said, and I quote, it is socially accepted as something that falls within the realm of being occupationally necessary and appropriate for women. Now, when I start going down that kind of rabbit hole reading that material, I get really, really angry. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) What does it do to you, though? Well, it it just circles back completely to what I was saying before. And, yes, I followed the story about what he said and about women and you know, when I think about how free somebody feels to say that publicly, uh, it, it always makes me wonder about what the behaviours, the more surreptitious behaviours have been in the kind of years leading up to that as well. Look, here's the here's the the policy call again. So a policy in Japan that women have to wear high heels and and who has been at that leadership table to determine that policy. I'm going to answer my own question there <laughs> and say I suspect it is a bunch of men. You know, that that imagery that came out in uh, 2017 when Donald Trump was signing off on the executive orders uh, restricting women's uh, ab- abortion rights in the states flanked by a dozen men. Yeah, not a woman in the room. Yeah, it just these, uh, you, you know, and that angered so many women in the US that they moved to action and we and we had the, uh, you know, just the unprecedented increase of number of women elected in the in those midterms. So uh, there's ang- there's anger moving to activation that <laughs> um, was had a very positive effect. But the something you said before about we were talking about women out in the community and I think one of the biggest tricks the devil ever played in Australia was this whole idea of, you know what, you get a lot more done 
out of politics. And that just simply is not true. Mm, mm. It's not true. Mm. Um, it maintains Why a status is it not true? <laughs> there is so much that can be done and activated within politics. Uh, when you are at that leadership table, whether it's in cabinet or whether, again, it is in your local council, uh, being there, being part of the discussion, the debate, the consideration and then the implementation is profound. On the flip side, the lack of those people at that table mm. is just as profound. What do you say then to um, to those who are becoming, uh, women in particular, more and more despondent? And as we know, there is a, the poll after poll um, that looks at Australians' uh, trust in politics and, in fact, even in democracy is showing that people are becoming increasingly disenchanted and trust politics less and less. What do you say to them? Yeah, this is this is a big piece about why I've I've changed my career. I think it's been very easy to disengage from mm. whether it's global politics or or domestic politics. Uh, you know, you see some of the carry on sometimes, or then you hear about a <clears throat> a latest expenses scandal, uh, a scandal or sexual harassment scandal, or just acting like schoolyard brats in some conversations, and. It's really easy to turn that off and go, you know what, I'm done. I'm done with mm. that. Uh, I've got my own problems to deal I'll with. I'll just stay on the yacht. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, we see that behaviour and we disengage. The, the great irony there is the more we disengage, the easier it is for them to act that way. And then, and then we're stuck in that negative kind of feedback loop where it just goes down and down and down. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of people say, you know, democracy's broken and I, I just don't subscribe to that policy at all. I, I, I do I do think it's sick, <laughs> but the antidote to that is engagement, engagement in the process, whether that be running, whether it be uh, paying more attention to who's running uh, or whether it being involved in an issues-based campaign. You know, there's lots of different roles and that is what has changed in the last 18 months in Australia, I, I feel anyway that... Do you really? Do you, what, you think we're becoming more engaged? Yes. Why? What prompted that? Well, all I can go on is even our events where, you know, in, in 2019, in the days before our events, we'd still be running around trying to secure the last tickets for those events. Uh, and then last year... All the events we ran sold out, every single mm. one of them. We, we have a waiting list for future events now. So Gee, that's, that's I, extraordinary. It's fantastic, though, which means because that indicates that more and more women are becoming interested in finding out about how to participate in the political process, which is great. Yeah, it, look, it's it's inspiring. Uh, so I feel like the demand is there, and but nothing has changed in Australian politics. No, Australian politics is the same as it was three years ago, nine years ago, 12 years ago, you know. Well, perhaps there is a bit of a, um, a Trump effect there and, and also the fact that our Prime Minister 
during the um, term of the last US President Donald Trump, he indicated that uh, he was a mate. Perhaps that's inspired and encouraged and motivated more people to get politically active. Oh, look, I'm not going to lie. I I just would love that Trump's legacy has been activating women globally. Like I think that is the the best legacy that he could possibly leave. Not intended, I understand. Yeah, Um, yeah. But look... it, it, it really is quite possible. I mean, we only need to look also at the those amazing women's marches um, just after his own in, inauguration, right back uh, at the beginning of his term uh, oh, and look, what happened. Yes, what, the, the movements there. But, but domestically, I think the combination of the bushfires, which was such a horrifying experience for our country, no one was untouched by that. Uh, there was no place for any kind of politics in that, uh, yet somehow that, that came to be. And it really, it really um, put the shoulders back of a lot of people in the country, not just women, and suddenly we were all looking up. We've all got very, the modern busy life is a busy life, but mm. suddenly we were looking up and paying attention, and I don't feel that we've looked back down in that time. Um, so, and that gives me a lot of hope. Well, that brings me to my last question, but you've actually already answered it, but uh, I'll pose it anyway a slightly other way, which is about optimism, whether or not you're a glass half full or glass half empty person. And do you feel optimistic looking forward? Um, I'm guessing the answer is a resounding yes from you. It is a resounding yes. I um I see it every day in what we're doing currently. Women getting in touch with me via email just saying, you know, I'm infuriated by X. Help me make it better. How should I run? Uh, You know, or can you put me in touch with somebody who's willing to run on childcare reform? Uh, I want to help their campaign. They just keep coming in and in and in from all corners of the country as well. You know, we've had women attending our courses from the Kimberleys, from Kangaroo Island, from Fremantle, from the York Peninsula, and this, they're not looking away. And all we need to do is provide them some tangible skills to make what is currently a very opaque process, which is how you run for office. Office. Some might say it's kept deliberately opaque, more transparent. And the idea that the more transparent something is, the more comfortable somebody feels to step into that realm. Lysia, I'm going to just ask one last question. Go for it. <laughs> Even though I said we were, we were fi- finishing it off right there on optimism. But when you do, because I know you do get contacted by a huge number of people and um, often that contact is from people who have no idea what to do. They just want to cling on to someone like you that they've seen doing these extraordinary things and say, what do I do? Can you help me? Do you get a little bit overwhelmed by that sometimes and sort of feel like it's it's asking so much of you and you feel so compelled to do something for others, but it's just sometimes it's too much, it's overwhelming? It has been overwhelming in the past, but I've, I've learnt better how to manage that now and, you know, I have uh, a team around me that I, that I didn't have a year ago, which makes a, a massive difference. But 
you know, I, I am able to refer people much easier now than I was able to do 12 or 18 months ago, whether it be to refer them to different parties or to refer them to our courses or to some of our online material. So, yes, look, building a not-for-profit is an overwhelming exercise at, at times. <laughs> uh, but, um, Unfortunately, I know that only too well. <laughs> but but uh, there's nothing worse than being in a job where you have those overwhelming periods, but it's to no tangible outcome for no greater purpose. And when you mm. find yourself in a job where it is actually for a greater purpose and you believe in that and you know that you're making a difference, then the overwhelm is not to the same extent that it might otherwise be. I suspect we might have one or two people listening to you on this podcast, Lucia, who decide to quit their jobs and... Uh, turn towards a greater purpose. Look, I want to thank you so much. That It's been fantastic talking to you. It always is, but it's just uh, amazing. Your breadth of experience and the really thoughtful consideration you've brought to the issues is just its wonderful to hear and to share. So thank you so much for, for joining me on Broad Talk. Well, thanks for having me on and for sharing the good news that we're doing. Lucia Heath, the woman who's really put her money where her mouth is. And goodness knows, with the state of gender inequality and the rising anger over how poorly the federal government has handled accusations of sexual assault, harassment and bullying, not just recently but frankly for years, there's no question that we need to get more women into parliament. As you heard in that chat, Lucia believes getting that critical mass of 30% or more women at the table or on the floor of Parliament makes our politics more collaborative and less adversarial. If we agree with that, though, are we in danger of perhaps expecting women to be more moral, you know, to do the right thing, be the do-gooders, to be the force of good, such that when women happen to display rough or angry or even selfish characteristics – We're suddenly going to accuse them of somehow defying their femaleness, perhaps being less woman than they should. What do you think? What would our politics look like if the current ratio in Parliament was flipped around and women held two out of every three seats and men held just one in every three? What difference do you think that would make? I've got to say, I've got some pretty strong views about this, but I want to know what you think, and perhaps we'll talk about it next week. Meantime, you can tweet me at Virginia underscore house, H-A-E-U-S-S, or connect on the Broad Talk Roundtable Facebook group, or you can email me at virginia at virginiahousiger.com.au. Thanks so much for joining me this week. I've really, really, really been pleased to have your company. Until next week, happy chatting. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 